Vaughn mentioned the talent, and I am appreciative of it, and I'm appreciative also of the versatility in that talent, because so many people wear so many different hats, and uh, God is, is blessed in that. You'll see, uh, let's go to the previous slide up there, back that up a little bit. Hebrews chapter 1, and the, the, the icon you see on the screen there, I looked up feast, and it came up with a Thanksgiving feast theme. So, uh, you're welcome. Now you want turkey and cranberry and, you know, I, I like stuffing. I like all of the stuff. You can keep the olives. I don't want those. But um, all the things that, that happen for Thanksgiving, I'll take a part in. And uh, this, this feast kind of looks like it came from there, right? You got the, the, the colors that, that came up with that. And um, I, was, I was reading through Tozer this uh, past week, and he talked about the, uh, the, the sense of being invited into God's presence. And when we look at something like Hebrews chapter 11, we see that we have the opportunity to bless God by trusting in his word. So let's go to Hebrews 11, which is just a few verses past where we started last week. And again, we will be looking at some other verses along the way too. But I invite you to stand as we read verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6 of Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Lord, thank you for your eternal word. I pray that you teach us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, you may be seated. As we look at a concept of what faith is, I'm reminded that the root word for faith, pistuo in, in Greek, is also trust and belief. It ends up being translated in those ways in the New Testament, depending on where it's used. So when we come to a place where we see God, we must realize that we are seeing evidence, as it says here, of the invisible. All of that, all that we see here was brought to order and brought to creation by the, uh, by the Father. And so when we come to this place where we learn about what it means to trust Him, we get a good definition in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We can think about all kinds of things in our world that we know exist, but that we can't see. For instance, the wind. Anybody ever seen the wind? No, but we see the effects. We see the leaves move. We see the trees topple over when the ground gets wet and the big winds come through. We see the effect of, of how the atmosphere is, uh, is moved, and sometimes it moves in, in powerful ways that we couldn't understand, that we don't understand everything that's going on there. We see it in the fact that we are on the ground right now. You can't see gravity, but you see and you feel the effects of it, some more than others, right? 
You know, I, I don't jump well. Elephants don't jump. So there, there's th- those things that will happen there. But I see people who are able to, you know, get off the ground and maybe, you know, guys who are ladies even who can slam dunk a basketball. I have never in my life been able to do that. I might be able to grab the net, but even as I get later in life, that becomes fewer and far between because that is just the effect of what gravity does for us. It holds us in place. So we might think that something isn't there just because we don't see it, but that doesn't bear out in the kinds of things we look at. You know, we might think that uh, a chair is solid, but in effect, it's cardboard. And what's going to happen if you sit in a cardboard chair? It's going to crush. It's not going to do you any good whatsoever. It's just going to give you a sore tailbone, right? So the things that we see in this world did not appear by accident. And in that, when we see the, uh, the effect of what God has done, we can be assured that God is real. And in Hebrews chapter 11 here, what we find is that God blesses those who trust in Him. Hebrews chapter 11 is the culmination of where the writer has been working through to this place. If you continue to read through it, you will see, and we even skipped a couple of verses, 4 and 5, where he talks about Abraham and and, uh, and, and uh, I'm sorry, Abel and Cain and then Enoch and, and others as well. He, he talks about how their trust in God blessed both the Lord and them. And so it says even Enoch walked with God and he was taken away because God blessed him in that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I'm not saying that it's this absence of, it's just this anonymous faith into whatever might exist, that the universe willed it to happen. As a matter of fact, we hear that phrase a lot of times, but what we see here in verse 3, it says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. God created it, not by accident, but that we would have a place to grow in our faith in Him so that He might be blessed. And when we look at what is before us, all that we can do is stand in awe of what He has done and even what He is doing today. You know, in the last 30 years, we've had the, and I can't remember exactly when it was launched. Some of you probably can just because you get into those things. But the Hubble Space Telescope was launched. And they... They thought that the universe was like the Star Wars opening credits, right? Black and white stars. But then they got in, got the Hubble telescope, and they got the lens corrected, right? It needed glasses. You remember that? When they got it outside the atmosphere, all of a sudden it was blurry. There's just something to think about there. Our perspective always messes something up, Okay. But they put, once they got the lens cre- created, there were people who rented time. And you can do that if you've got the money. God bless you if you do. To have the, uh, the Hubble telescope point at one spot in space for 24 hours or however, many t- t- however length of time it was. And by the time that that exposure was finished, all of a sudden the universe wasn't black <laughs> or midnight blue. 
It was amazing. And they found billions upon billions of galaxies just by looking at one spot where they pointed. God has created the universe so that we might see how great He is. We sang about that this morning, how great our God is. Now, people wonder, is there life on other planets? Well, we can't get there if there is. So, you know, that's not something we can figure out for yourselves. Remember Star Wars and Star Trek are fiction. They are not documentaries. Um, They're not actually things that we have seen happen and all the other science fiction kinds of things you see. They're great, fun ideas, but, you know, I, I haven't seen any Romulans pop up, although I've wondered sometimes. What we know is that God created all of it, whatever is there, because we are incapable of such a thing. I think it's a greater leap of faith to think that we're an accident than to think that we were created with purpose. And this God who draws us to his presence now, has created us to experience him. Tozer says that the Bible assumes as a self-evident fact that men can know God with at least the same degree of immediacy as they can know any other person or thing that comes to mind within the field of their experience. So, the assumption in the scriptures is that these men and women who wrote the Bible down, who experience the stories, experience God the same ways that we can now. And that Christ came and died for all of them and all of us here on earth. So we walk indeed by faith and not by sight. And we can trust that God has held it together. All of these different trials, you know, we talk about something like sanctity of human life or we see that forest fires in, in Boulder that, are, that consume part of the community, or you see a tornado go through Bowling Green, Kentucky, and knock down half the town. I don't know exactly how much it was, but it was plenty. You wonder, where is God in the midst of it? And the fact is, is that God, the creator of the universe, dwells in us that we might proclaim Him in those moments of trial. That we, even as we see the hardship in this life, death, disease, loss, that God has placed the hope of the gospel in his church that we might proclaim him in the midst of those trials. What are the times you're most likely going to encounter God? When you're seeking him. When you seek him, I'm sorry, when do you seek him? Usually when you realize that you can't control things yourself. So, God offers us the chance to be his hands and feet in those moments. There's a little extra there. I wasn't planning to go there with it. But Tozer continues in his description here and shows how the, the Bible offers different pictures in allegory of how we experience God. How, you ask? I'm glad. Let's go to Psalm 45. Psalm 45, the verses should be on the screen, but if they're not, Psalm 45, verse 6 through 9. It says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. For I, from ivory places, stringed instruments make you glad. 
daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen of gold in Ophir. So we have all these different geographical things. But what senses were described there? You can call back on this one. Smell, the fragrance, and there was another one there too that I caught along the way. There's music, so hearing. But particularly, Tozer brings up verse 8, I think it is. And it says that your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cashew. We smell like God. Think about that. Some of you might need a shower. But in, in the comparison, is he talking about the physical presence of God? No, he's actually talking about the experience of God. When you come into his presence, his, the, the essence of who he is can't help but change us. It draws us to this place of holiness. When we witness who God is, he transforms us. And he calls us to that place where we encounter him together. There's another one in the Psalms. Let's go back to Psalm 34. It's just a few back there should be able to find it relatively easily. Here's another sense that he says, and this one's pretty obvious, okay? Realize I'm going to ask a question in a moment. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Anybody got it for me? taste. Taste and see. What does that mean? That means we examine God's blessings and we feast on those blessings. It may play out like we see in the picture on the screen there in in a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal or whatever kind of family celebration you might have. But what it really is is to realize that God has given us all good things. And even in the trials and hardships, we should look to Him and realize in His provision He offers us the greatest thing, and that is our salvation. That is the greatest feast that we will ever have, to realize that God has given us hope for eternal life. I was reading in Matthew 22 yesterday in my my, uh, devotions, and it struck me in in that passage. In the beginning is the parable of the wedding feast. It's an interesting passage where Jesus sends out the... uh, or the, the banquet host, sorry, I gave it away. The banquet host sends out people to come in for the feast, but if they're not dressed right, they get kicked back out. You have to be ready. You have to be clothed in the righteousness of God. But the picture there is one of eternity. And then the Pharisees and the Sadducees were having this argument the whole time. What were they arguing about? Whether or not we had eternal life. Whether or not everything that we experience on this world is vanity or whether it happens for a reason and for a purpose. And ultimately, Jesus tells the Pharisee that asked him the question, what is the greatest commandment? What does he say in verses 37 through 39 in Matthew chapter 22? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like it. He didn't ask for the second command, but he got it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is summed up in this command. That's a picture of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's a picture of Exodus chapter 20. 
But when we come into the presence of God, He calls us to feast on His provision and to love one another the way He has loved us offers us everything that we need. Love for our Savior is our greatest need. It's what's absent in us by nature because we are sinners and sin separates. But the one who transformed has offered his righteousness in his name. Going into the New Testament now, we've had what? We had smell, and we had taste. We also had a little thing to, to hearing, right? But we're going to hear about that in a different way right now in John chapter 10. I invite you to turn there if you want to. If, the, if you want to read on the screen, it can be there as well. But John chapter 10 is an amazing passage that I love very much, and I'm going to read through all of it because uh, this passage at least is so that um, we come into the context of it. In the conversation, Jesus answers them, I told you and you do not believe. What did I tell you that the word belief is based on is the same thing as faith, right? You do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. His sheep, what? Hear his voice. So as we come to the banqueting table, we come with eyes of faith that we see that the Lord is at work, We taste His work in our lives. We smell it. We hear it. And ultimately, we come back to that that seeing of Him in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if that is our state of blessing or our state of happiness... That word is the same, happy and blessed in that translation. I think we really would desire to see the Lord. Now that's hard on earth. Because why won't he just appear in front of me? I mean, the Gospels made it happen. Remember after Jesus' resurrection, he just showed up in the, in the room? What would happen if that happened in here right now? There he is. Well, here's the deal. He already is here. Because he dwells in his church. He dwells in his people. It's not this building. This building is not the church. This is a shelter in which we gather. We, those who trust in his name, we are the church. We who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and gave himself for us. So in order to experience this feast, where do we come back to? Hebrews 11, verse 1. We come back to faith. We can experience God in all these different ways through the work of his Spirit in his church. 
And he calls us to be, in, in Ephesians, Paul says, a fragrant offering to the Lord. He calls us to give ourselves before his throne, that we, like Christ, would be that offering. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It works itself out a little bit differently now because God has called us to go into the world and make disciples. And to be in our families and in our communities living honestly, realizing that none of us are anything without the grace of God. We must receive His forgiveness in order for Him to be glorified. We, on our own, will never earn our way to heaven. Salvation comes through faith and trusting in Jesus Christ. In those passages we've read today, John chapter 10, it said, what did it say? I give them eternal life. Did Jesus tell us anywhere that we were capable of earning it? I'll wait. He did not. He says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So the question is, are you among the sheep that hear his voice? Are you invited, as it would be, to the banquet of God? Have you believed that Jesus Christ died for your sin? Do you believe it? Have you trusted him in your Savior and taken the steps of obedience that bless his name? Those steps of obedience do not save you. They just don't. Baptism does not save. It's a, it's a big bathtub that we have up here. There's nothing. It, it's Pueblo City water. That's it. And many of you experience the ordinariness of that. Now, I will say that I've been in other places in the world. We are blessed in Pueblo to have Pueblo City water. Even if you think it's gross, trust me. Go some other places. Um, but what we find is that everything on this earth is ordinary. It's the God that transforms us that makes it extraordinary. He is the extraordinary one. He is the one that is worthy of worship. And He is the one who saves. And He calls you to a place of faith. It may be an abstract thing to try to see and taste and trust who God is. You're not wrong. But it's where he calls us to be. I can't save me. You can't save me. I can't save you. You can't save you. Only Jesus does it. And he has a place at that table for you. One of the cool things about God is that he's, he's not worried about how many chairs are at the table. He made it all in the first place. Come on. Let's party. Let's trust in Him today. Let's pray. Lord, You are good and faithful and kind. We are unworthy except by the redeeming power of the cross and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're always going to trip up and we're always going to falter, but Lord, help us to, to love You the way you have loved us, laying down our lives and our preferences to love one another 
way you have loved us. Change my heart today. Give us, give me the grace I need to take that next step to bless you. For the one who needs to take a step of obedience today, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts and their lives. Bless your name. We would see evidence of your grace, God. In Jesus' name. Stand together and we do have our time of response here. Altar is open. If you have a decision to make, if you need some prayer, ask that you take the steps in trust and obedience to bless Jesus.